The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. A new series that I'm excited about today. Um, it's called Lights, Camera, Action. And we're going to get into why it's called that in a moment. But how many of you guys in here have seen the movie The Incredibles, the Pixar movie The Incredibles? Yeah, a bunch of us have seen it. If you've seen it, it's, it's a movie about kind of superheroes that are born and, and they, they kind of figure out what their gifts are. And Bob is the dad and he's Mr. Incredible and he's super strong. And then there's his wife, Helen, and Helen is Elastigirl, and she's super stretchy. And then the kids are Violet is the oldest daughter, and Violet can make herself disappear as well as create, you know, uh, force fields around things. And then there's Dash, who's really fast at running. But the youngest kid in the movie, if you remember, is Jack-Jack. And Jack-Jack, throughout the movie, Incredibles 1, they're like wondering, like, yeah, I guess we, he doesn't really have any powers. And uh, at the end of Incredibles 1, you learn that, well, maybe we're wrong about this. And you kind of get a, a glimpse of some of the powers that he has. Now, the reason I bring it up is because when you get into Incredibles 2, it really is all about Jack-Jack. Because what they realize is he has exponentially more power than they ever imagined. And all these different, imagine all these different superpowers. And so when we talk about today, you know, I bring up the Incredibles in a series called Lights, Camera, Action. The reason I bring it up this way is simply because within Christ's church, and we're going to talk about from the very beginning in the book of Acts, which is where we're going to be, um, this idea that we have power and how important that power really is. So Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to land. I'm going to read some of that. We're going to talk about Acts 1 and Acts chapter 2. I'm going to pray. We'll walk through these verses here in a moment. It says in Acts 1 verse 1, in my former book, Theophilus, I told you about everything that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after having given the apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he actually was alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Verse 4, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They are not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up in a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. Father, today we pray together again that your spirit would do a work in all of us, helping us understand the value of this conversation. As we begin a new series, God, my prayer is really for an enlightenment, God, a work that you would do not only through educating, God, in these words, but also through empowering by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. As we jump in, the book of Acts, again, a little bit of backstory. The book of Acts, as we have it, was a letter written, just as I open, to a guy named Theophilus from an individual named Luke. What we know in the Bible about Luke is Luke, in, in the book of Acts, who wrote it, is also the Luke who wrote the gospel 
of Luke. In the Bible, if you don't know, there's Old Testament, the time before Jesus, and then New Testament during the life of Christ and then after as the church is established. Well, in the beginning of the New Testament, you have gospels that we call Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke was the only one that was not a personal eyewitness to what Jesus had done like Matthew, Mark, and John were, but Luke was a doctor who took it upon himself to investigate all of these claims about Jesus, the Messiah, all this stuff, put it together and send it to a friend that he cared about deeply named Theophilus. So Luke is a gospel. It's about the time of Jesus and his trial and death and burial and resurrection. And then Acts picks up right where the gospels, where Luke leaves off. So he jumps in saying, hey, Theophilus, you read the first letter I wrote, the book you know, that, that you know, we have as the Gospel of Luke. Let me continue with the dialogue. And so that's where we kind of jump in. And I want you to notice, as it opens, it says, in my former book, I, I told you about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now, in verse 2, he says, until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Now I want you to key in on that phrase there, through the Holy Spirit, because on one hand, the book of Acts is really a story of the acts of the first century church. But more importantly than that, the book of Acts is really about the, the directing work of the Holy Spirit within the first century church. Over and over and over throughout the book of Acts, you're going to see the Holy Spirit guiding, the Holy Spirit convicting, the Holy Spirit directing, the Holy Spirit empowering believers to accomplish the mission of God. And the mission of God from way back then all the way into today is to help people see who Jesus is, that they can acknowledge the need for a Savior, a Messiah to save them from their sins, to save us from our Sins. And so as we jump in, I want you to take note that when it says through the Holy Spirit, that's a major theme that you and I need to understand. So this whole series is really going to be about this picture of what the Holy Spirit was doing then, what the Holy Spirit has done throughout history in the church, and what the Holy Spirit wants to do today, even through us. And so we're going to get to that. As you get to verse 4, it says this. Once, this is Luke writing, he says, Once, when Jesus was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. Now, I want you to pick up on that. Because I already mentioned in verse 2, Luke is saying the Holy Spirit. Then he brings up a conversation that Jesus had with the disciples. And that conversation had everything to do with this gift that capital F, Father, has, is, is giving to you. And then he says, as I told you before, and he's quoting Jesus, For John, the Baptist, for John baptized with water, but in just a few days from now, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So let, let me, again, draw back some of the history that I think it's important for us to understand. When you open up any one of the Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will find this picture, this story right here that I'm about to read. If you're taking notes, you can write down John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. And again, this story appears in every gospel. This is the most descriptive one, so I wanted to give this one to you. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
He is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, okay, this is him saying what God revealed to him, John the Baptist, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who, who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus so I can testify he is the chosen one of God. John the Baptist, many of us are aware, was preparing the way for Jesus to come on the scene. Jesus is the Messiah, and John specifically identifies him. The Lord told me that whoever this dove descends upon is the one that's going to eventually baptize with the Holy Spirit, okay? So, so notice that that's in every gospel. That's John chapter 1 right there. But now I want to go to John chapter 14, okay? The disciple John was quoting Jesus when, when he wrote these words. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commands. And, now listen carefully, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. Remember, Luke said, didn't Jesus say the gift is coming, the Father is giving you? This is what he's talking about, okay? okay? Uh, he is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world can't receive him. Because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him. Because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Okay, All of this text, by the way, is a, is a great text to take a good look at. Because what we're talking about here in, in theological understanding in Christianity is this. We believe in the Trinity. Now, that word doesn't appear in the Bible, and some of you are well aware of this. Others maybe aren't. The Trinity is this idea that there's not three different gods, this Father and their Son, the Holy Spirit, but three in one. There's one God, the Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They exist together. And this is one of those pictures that helps paint this idea of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and how they work together and, and, and intermingle. So he says, you know him because he lives with you now. It's almost like Jesus going, lives with you now. Then he says, later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit again. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. And that's in Acts chapter 2. Since I live, you will also live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father and that you are in me and that I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them those are the ones who love me, and because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Judas, not Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name, kind of unfortunate, anyway, said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? And there's an answer we're going to get to in Acts chapter 2. I keep saying that. Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we, listen to this, we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me won't obey me. And remember, my words aren't my own. 
What I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate, there's that word again, as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. All of this is building up to what we get to in Acts chapter 1 and in Acts chapter 2. That over and over, this promise has been given, the Holy Spirit is coming. And Jesus says, I as a person am one person that is with you as disciples, but because I'm only one person, I've got to go away because there's a better gift coming. He's saying, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come back to you just in a whole different way. We understand that to mean the fulfillment, the promise of the Holy Spirit. So here's what I love. Luke has said a couple of different times, you need the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, stay and wait for the Holy Spirit. And their response is this, Lord, are you going to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Hello? Are you listening at all? Like Luke is saying, hey, Jesus is saying the promise is coming. Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit's coming. Oh, great. Are you going to restore Israel? What? Here's what it is. Backstory. I know I'm doing a lot of backstory today. Backstory is this. In the Old Testament, when they looked at the prophecies about the Messiah, who we know was Jesus, the idea was that the Messiah would come and redeem Israel from Roman occupation and elevate the nation of Israel as this amazing entity. So they looked forward to the Messiah as a conquering king. What they didn't understand, and part of them, you know, having Jesus crucified was them seeing, here's this, this Messiah, he says he's a Messiah, or people claim he's a Messiah, but he's not a Messiah, he's being crucified. The Messiah wouldn't let this happen. So what they began to understand, the disciples, was the Messiah is the Messiah who would first come as a suffering servant. So when he first comes and pays a price on the cross, the disciples then began to grasp, oh, this is that first, you know, pr the prophecy about the first portion of the Messiah's work. The second portion, the first will be a suffering servant. The second portion will be as a conquering king. So they're assuming, hey, first work's done. Let's move on to the second work. Let's get this going. And they, again, misunderstand the point. Okay, we're building up to this, so we're getting there here in a moment. He says, they say, Lord, are you going to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And I love that they're, they're Jesus' response. The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They're not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And, and we're going to get to that. So Jesus' response is this. That's coming someday. Someday I'm going to come back as a conquering king. That's book of Revelation stuff that we're not getting to today. I don't got, ain't nobody got time for this, okay? We'll get to that another time. But what he goes back to is what Luke is saying. The Holy Spirit, the gift my father promised, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's, it's not for you to know when, when you know, those dates are going to come. Those dates are going to happen. But until then, there's a mission that you need. But before you go out and start doing that mission, you need to be filled with power. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I want you to take note, and if, if you're writing this down, write dunamis. D-U-N-A-M-I-S. Dunamis. The word dunamis is the word here for power. It comes from the same word that you and I understand as dynamite. 
And what it means is, and we need to keep this in mind, it's explosive power. Power to change the landscape in a significant way. That's what dynamite does. But notice also that that's what the Holy Spirit has done for 2,000 years in the church. So he says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But, but make note that he gives a direction about what that power is for. That power isn't so that we can feel good. That power isn't so that we get goosebumps. That power isn't for all these things. He says that power, the point of that power points to you are called to be my witnesses. See, as a church together, we need to be reminded of frequently, and maybe I say it too much, that our mission is the Great Commission. Go make disciples of all the nations. That as we're here and gather, the point is to be encouraged. The point is to be built up. The point is to be empowered to go out there in a world that doesn't understand who Jesus is yet and be a witness every single day. That we don't gather to play church. We don't gather just to have fun. We gather because we get built up to go out and be on mission. He says, you will be filled with power and you will be my witnesses. He says, in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth, including way out there in the Pacific Northwest someday. Because that's the idea. Jerusalem, the city. Judea, a region. Samaria, an even larger extension of that region. And even to the ends of the earth, the work began Small, but it began to spread, and we're going to talk about that in this series. He says, you will be my witnesses, but you're going to need power first. Now look at this. Acts 1, he says, you'll, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Look at this. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and it was hidden from their sight. It's like Jesus, he, power, exit stage left, he's gone. That's it. Like, you can imagine the disciples like, wait, Lord. Hold on. Give us more here. Jesus leaves. John 14, he says, I'm not leaving you as orphans, though. John 14, as Luke reminds us, go pray. Because you need something before you go out and try to do anything. And this is where we get to Acts Chapter 2. Now, I know I'm skipping over Acts 1, verses 10 through 26, and we'll come back to some of that, some logistics of leadership within the church, but we're not going to handle that today. Acts chapter 2 is where I want to pick up. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, Luke writes, the day of Pentecost. Now, I want to explain this so that we all understand what's happening because this is like divine timing that only God could put together. The, the, the Feast of Pentecost was an Old Testament festival of which there were three, if you're taking notes, this is just good information, of which there were three that were pilgrimage festivals. What it meant is three times a year, the entire nation of Israel, no matter where they had sort of moved to, were called to come back and gather for a celebration of God's work. The first one is Passover. And Passover, going back to the book of Exodus, is when Israel was freed from being slaves in Egypt. And that was the Passover, also called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And they celebrated their their exile, not their exile, their their, um, freedom from slavery. And that was towards the beginning of their calendar year. 
a little bit later into spring is the Feast of Pentecost. Penta means 50. It would have been 50 days after Passover they celebrated Pentecost. The idea of Pentecost back then was the, the, the first harvest of the season. And they would gather in together, literally as an agricultural community, they would gather in the harvest and they would have a celebration of God's provision and they would give gifts back to the Lord. And it was a celebration. The third one is the Feast of Shelters or Tabernacles and that came in the fall at the last harvest, once again as the celebration of God's continued provision. Now, the reason I bring all this up is not, oh, that's good information. You just studied your Bible, Nick, good job. No, no. The reason I bring it up, honestly, is because when I take a look at this, and as I'm studying this, there's things that I'm like, do we understand? And again, I've, you know, just looking. When you look at, at Passover, it's this celebration of, of God's deliverance. And if you remember when you read in the Gospels about the crucifixion of Jesus, that happened what time of year? Passover. And, and uh, Passover, Jesus is our sacrificial lamb. He's the Passover lamb. And I think it's significant because, once again, as much as the nation of Israel would celebrate, it was, a, it was a reminder of God's goodness and deliverance in the same way that you and I are delivered from our sins because of what Jesus did. And then you move over now to Pentecost as a celebration of God's provision and the gifts that they would give back to God because of how he provided. God at Pentecost gave back to the nation of Israel this gift of the Holy Spirit that is for us as well. And now I'm getting ahead of myself. It says, it says in, in chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, okay, remember, I mentioned that's a pilgrimage festival. They were all together in one place, the disciples. Suddenly the sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. There's, they saw what seemed to be tongues, verse 3, tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them, okay, this is it, the fulfillment, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And you read this story and simply just go, this is a supernatural miracle. This is what God, and I believe today, is still in the business of doing supernatural miracles. We pray all the time for God to open certain doors in your lives. We pray all the time for disease to be cured. We pray all the time for the deliverance from uh, alcohol abuse or, or drugs for certain family members within our own church. We pray for God to do miracles all the time. And this is a miracle where you can go, I don't know why there's a violent wind. I don't know why is there, you know, tongues of fire that came to rest. And it's like if you got hairspray, it's going to catch on fire. That's not good. You know, whatever, but, but you, you see this, and this is simply a supernatural miracle. Verse 5. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And now you know why. Because it was a pilgrimage festival where they all had gathered, and they spoke different languages because of where they lived and grew up. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men speaking Galileans? Then how is it each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? 
I love how this happened at this time because this is a moment where only God could orchestrate this. And it's a supernatural miracle where the Holy Spirit is, is being poured out because they're being commissioned to go make a difference. They're being commissioned to do something significant, but they need the Holy Spirit before they go. I love mockers, though. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine to drink. Always a mocker in the crowd. Don't raise your hand if you're one of those, but there's always a mocker in the crowd. Now, th this... this this is a moment that I want you to, to really take in. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. You go, big deal. So, yeah, it's awesome. He stood up, gave a speech. Sure, I, I could say, and I think it's significant, this is the very first New Testament speech. This is the very first New Testament, first century church speech or sermon given. It's, it's powerful. We're going to talk about it in a second. But, but you have to understand, going back, who has Peter been? Peter was a disciple, but Peter, on the night that Jesus was arrested, three times denied he knew him. Peter, at the end of the Gospel of John, is seen out in a boat back to what he used to do before Jesus ever came on the scene, feeling dejected, feeling confused, questioning what his future even looked like, wondering what his life was going to be about. Until Jesus shows up on the side, he jumps in the, the, the water and swims to shore, and it's like, Jesus, hi, you know? And they have this conversation that honestly reinstates Peter as somebody, but the Holy Spirit hasn't come yet. And Peter has proven, I hate to say it, but to be a coward. He's got the big mouth, but, but he doesn't put his, his you know, courage where his mouth is. Until this moment, now that the Spirit has done something. And I say it, and I say it passionately because I go back to you and to me and to life that we're called to live. That the Holy Spirit, listen, is meant to empower us, is meant to guide us, is meant to convict us, is meant to deliver us, is meant to help us be the witnesses God wants us to be because this isn't about us doing it alone. We need the Holy Spirit. And in a world where people get weirded out by, oh, the Holy Spirit and, and tongues and what, I've seen that in church, whatever, it's this idea that you and I are empowered and we need that power. Peter stands up and addresses the crowd and the first thing he says, ladies and gentlemen, they're not drunk as you suppose, it's only nine in the morning, like that would be a problem and that's another sermon for another day. But he says, this is the fulfillment of what God said through the prophet Joel. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. My sons and daughters will prophesy. My old men will see visions. My young men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both young and old, I will pour out my spirit in those days. He's saying this is the fulfillment of what was promised. This is the fulfillment of what Jesus said. In John 14, about the spirit coming. This is the fulfillment about what John the Baptist said about somebody that would come and, and, and fill in a whole fresh new way so a difference could be made. Remember I said dunamis power, dynamite power, power to change the landscape in a significant way, and that's exactly what happens. Peter, as he continues his message, talks, talks about Jesus, and, and, and the idea he did signs and wonders, and he proved that he was a Messiah, and yet he was still crucified, and he died, he was buried, but he rose from the dead. And he is the Messiah. He is the conqueror king. He, he goes on, he quotes some scripture about David. And, and he says, I can tell you confidently that this Jesus is the one. 
Verse 36, therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ or Messiah. Sermon's over. And what's their response? When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Now that you've said, now that we see, now that we understand, what do we do? And this message is for you just as well as people 2,000 years ago. What do we do with this? Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. That's the gospel message, you guys. That's why on things like a baptism Sunday, we put out this this big container and and, and everybody shares their stories of what God is doing. It's about transformation. It's about realizing when the Holy Spirit is at work and people surrender, that's God at work. That's not just us doing something fun. That's God at work. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And honestly, maybe you're in here today and you're wondering about this whole spiritual conversation, this whole church thing. And if you've yet to surrender your life to Christ, I would say this, it is the most important decision you'll ever make. You want to know you're forgiven? You want to have a fresh start? You want to enjoy eternity in heaven with God? The Bible says there's one way, and it's through Christ. It's about believing in what he's done for you and me, and that's the first step in that work. That's why baptism is such a significant thing. It's an outward declaration of that inward transformation. As we've said many times before, it's laying down our old lives in the grave, watery grave of baptism and coming up symbolically new in Christ. It's significant. If you need to invite Jesus into your life today, I would encourage you to take that step. Praying a simple prayer, Jesus, forgive me of all of my sin. Come into my life and be my Savior, be my Lord. I believe you paid the price so I could be forgiven, so I could have a fresh start. And if that's you, I would encourage you, pray that prayer. But see, the beauty is the work isn't done. Even the disciples thought it's done. Jesus, you're done. Okay, when when is the the kingdom going to happen? And it's like, time out. And I would say that to us, time out. This isn't about just eternity's coming. This is about realizing that you and I are commissioned towards a world that doesn't know who Christ is yet. You and I commission, and, that, and that's where it's such a big deal. We see people all the time in church world that the longer they're in church, the more it's about what they want, more about what, you know, who they are. It's like their hearts grow smaller, and, and they're just jaded and, 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 and kind of critical about things. And I would say this, the, the longer that you and I are involved in, in church world and allowing Jesus to move, our hearts ought to be growing bigger for the work of God, bigger towards lost people, bigger towards the things that really matter, not what can I get out of this. We say all the time, we give up things we love for things we love even more. The church does not exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. That we will do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Christ. We talk about all the time that, that, that this is about you and I commissioned to make a difference. If you were here last week as we ended our Life Multiplied series and we talked about giving, one of the things I said that I want to ring in all of our ears is the work of God has always been provided for by the people of God. But, but let me take it a step further today and let me remind you of this. The great commission of God is meant to be fulfilled by the people of God. It's not a pastor. 
It's not some church leader somewhere. It's not a group of us that get to do this for a living. It's all of us commissioned to help people see Jesus. It is. That, 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 the, 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 the local church is the hope of the world, meaning we point people to Jesus. And it's not on a Sunday where we gather and go, hey, it's awesome. No, we gather, we build up and challenge so we can go out and make a difference. But it's also a reminder that we need the Holy Spirit to do that. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And then he says this, and this goes right along. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, there's that gift Luke was talking about. The gift of the Holy Spirit to fill you. That Jesus said will never leave you. That the scriptures remind us will guide us and will convict us. And will steer our lives and will empower us. If only we would be aware of our ongoing need for the Holy Spirit in our lives. What I love is as we continue this series, what you're going to see is the Holy Spirit didn't just, it wasn't just poured out one time. That over and over and over, just like, like your car, you get a tank of gas and you go whatever, 400 miles, but at the end of that time, you need a refresh, you need a refill. To be honest with you, even in, when we look at the work of the Holy Spirit, there are moments where they're filled again. For you and I, it's not just a one-time, hey, that was great, but it's realizing the ongoing need for the Holy Spirit to fill us every day. Verse 39, the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off in the Pacific Northwest someday 2,000 years later. I mean, if, if that verse isn't for you, I don't know what it is. This, this is us right here. This promise is for you, as he's talking to the crowd, and your children eventually in the next generation, and all who are far off down the line years from now that will need the Holy Spirit. That's all of us. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And that's when the church started. When the Holy Spirit was poured out and empowered believers to make the kind of difference they were called to make. And 3,000 in one day. And I love this picture. Because that's where it began. And the truth is, if you, st if you could even try to paint a picture of like 2,000 years of church history, you are impacted by this moment and you may not even realize it. Because it goes down from generation to generation and the message continues to spread all over the globe. And that's where, in the fun of what we get to do in this series, we're going to look at the book of Acts. And we're going to talk about these missionary journeys. And we're going to talk about the work of the Spirit. But my hope is that you feel and you sense through the Spirit that you're invited into this whole conversation. Because we're all part of this movement through the Holy Spirit. Let me end with this. For the rest of this series, we're going to take a look at this whole picture. But today, I just simply want to pray a prayer. Lord, we invite you to fill us today. God, to empower us in a significant way that changes the landscape of our lives. That for some, it's the pattern of going around and around in circles in life, dealing with certain maybe addictions or certain things that keep tripping individuals up. And it feels like their, their life is really only about that. We feel beat down and then we feel victorious and beat down. And God, I pray 
for your spirit to, to empower in a fresh way. Not just that it's sin management, God, but it's realizing that you have a, a bigger life than simply dealing with the issues of sin. Yes, you do that. But the point is so that we can shine differently. The point is that we can be different people. The point is that we can carry your presence into a world that needs Jesus. God, we invite you to empower us to realize the work of your spirit in our hearts, in our minds, to realize the work of your spirit in our communities, in our neighborhoods, to realize the work of the spirit in every different place that we go and not just see through the lens of existing, living, but see through the lens of your work. Father, we need your spirit today. And my prayer is that you would simply pour out your work inside of every one of us, that we're not just here to live and die. We're here, God, to carry your love. But we don't do it in ourselves. Jesus, we need you. Come into this place and fill us. Come into this place and deliver us. Come into this place and bring us to a place of if it needs to be repentance for things where we're just not taking the steps that you ask. Bring us to a place where our heart is growing towards people that don't yet know you, God. That we're not here to look down our nose and be mean to them, God. But we care about them in a way that expresses Christ's compassion and grace and love. That they can see the lights come on and realize that you care about them. Father, we need your Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.